This is a Snow India production and you are listening to Climate Emergency. Way back in 1994, the elephant population in Periyar Tiger Reserve in Kerala was 1000. But the number of male adults among them was only 5. Of these five, only two were tuskers. Kerala is known for the strength of its elephant population, and this absolutely low tusker numbers indicated threat to the future of these species. All with the rising number of targeted poaching of tuskers for ivory. Somewhere between 1980 and 86, southern India faced a wave of elephant poaching. Almost 100 to 150 elephants were poached for their tusks. according to the report signed and sealed published by the Asian Elephant Research and Conservation Center part of the Indian Institute of Science Bangalore and Wildlife Protection Society of India the elephants fall under the IUCN red list a crucial indicator of the world's biodiversity they are given the highest conservation priority and come under schedule 1 of wildlife protection act of india and they are also a part of convention of international trade in endangered species of wild flora and fauna also known as cites in fact india was one of the earliest signatories to cites and this means serious business a complete ban on ivory in 1976 it became illegal to export or import any derivative of the indian elephant A decade later in 1986 India banned all domestic trade of ivory but the illegal poaching for ivory continues even today Hi I'm Sharda Balasubramanian and in this episode of Climate Emergency I will take you through the issue of ivory poaching This story is supported by the Oxpeckers International Grant for Investigating Wildlife Crime. My story began when I spoke to Dr. Joe Lewis, Director of Wildlife Trust of India, and he told me about Operation Shikhar, the famous 2015 ivory poaching case that created waves in the country. An ivory kingpin, Umesh Agarwal from New Delhi, was nabbed with the help of a robust team comprising the wildlife crime control bureau and the kerala forest department the kingpin was involved with various poachers in kerala as a suspect he was taken there for interrogation many cases were registered against him both human and digital intelligence were put to use in collecting evidence against him agarwal a businessman who was also into the trade of art and collectibles operated his business from his house in new delhi in the basement of his house there was a carving unit this was the place where artisan worked on these pieces very stealthily when nabbed he confessed that he has been into ivory trading from the 90s under his company art of india Ivory and ivory articles were mixed with resin and sandstone to ensure that it was not detected while these artifacts were exported to other countries. 
Agarwal exhibited these pieces in exhibitions to show potential buyers that he dealt in ivory. From his initial investigations and then questioning him in Kerala, after his arrest, it was found that he was buying ivory from elephant states of India, including the Northeast. Manu Satyan, the district forest officer of Kerala Forest Department, was a part of the ivory poaching investigations that led to nabbing of Agarwal in New Delhi. Manu tells me more. Actually, everything started after investigation of a massive elephant poaching case. Uh, now also, some case in Tamil Nadu, Madras High Court is going on uh, in the similar matter, connected matter. I was working in Tatekar Bird Sanctuary. I was working here uh, till 2014 and I got transferred to Tatekar. And uh, on 2015, May, May 25th also, uh, somebody called me that uh, and asked me whether, uh, is there any issue there? He is a local person. He was telling, no, some elephant poaching issue is there. Sir, you kindly check. And then I called uh, my neighbor uh, uh, ranges. Then uh, they told that, yes, elephant poaching case is there. And today they went to nab some uh, accused. But uh, all escaped. That was the point when this elephant poaching case came to department's notice. So what these people have done is that they just went there and uh, done the raid openly. Even they announced the name of the accused. So all the accused were there in their house. They all ran away and it was a big issue. So for one month after this uh, detection, nobody was arrested. So it was a big news in the newspaper. Even in, in the Guardian, the news came. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the main poacher committed suicide while he was in a high route. Actually, we located him and we are about to uh, nab him. So he got the news. And uh, before we reached there, he committed suicide. He hanged himself. And uh, uh, the second accused. Second accused, uh, we arrested him from uh, some Kasargod or somewhere. That uh, northern Kerala. And we brought him. And he was uh, remanded. And uh, later he got bail. And while on bail, he also uh, tried to commit suicide. By hanging. And... Uh, uh, he was badly injured and now also he can't speak. So that, that's a bit about the case. So when uh, by the time when CBI came here, they verified and they found that we have progressed much further. Then they told that no need for them to investigate because the department is doing it. Elephant poaching was happening in three forest divisions. 18 carcasses were recovered and this poaching was happening from 2013 without the notice of the forest department. So at that time, uh, department constituted a team and we done proper investigation. Because of the pressure of this media, it was decided to hand over the case to CBI also. So CBI came very late. So by that time, we, we were on to our investigation and almost reaching the final stage. We arrested uh, some 50, more than 50, 60, 64 people. Many vehicles were seized, many guns were seized. Mm, almost uh, we went up to Delhi, we seized uh, some uh, 500 uh, kilograms of ivory there. From Trivandrum, some 50 kilograms of ivory, ivory and ivory articles. Then from Delhi, the main buyer, we arrested him. When the forest department analysed later, it was found that the field was open and these poachers were habitual offenders who were living in the same landscape. The entire landscape from Munnar to Parambikulam is continuous and that landscape had plenty of elephants 
since it was an open field. Then poaching started. One elephant in one month was killed and it became a seasonal pattern. In one rainy season, when it was a difficult task for the forest rangers to go patrolling in the forest, 18 elephants and some other animals too were killed. The poachers were living in that very landscape. Manu has more to say. So, what we found out after investigating everything, after finishing everything, the top brass, means the, our higher officials, they just uh, sat and analyzed uh, what went wrong. So, at that time, all the accused were known previously to forest department because they were, means they were arrested in some other cases and uh, they got bail or the case is still in trial. Uh, so, they were already known offenders and uh, the places from there, from where they got help, those places also were known, those places also were notorious. And since these places were known and were also dangerous, the poachers had no trouble hunting down the elephants. Jos says more. Ivory poaching came as a surprise to the forest department. Because Kerala people were thinking that there is no elephant poaching happening and uh, things were like there was silence. There was nothing happening, they, you know, considered as a reasonably well-protected state and everything. Then um, suddenly this incident happened. When I delved into the history and details of the case, I understood what happens when elephants are poached for ivory. Also, what happens when we lose male tuskers to ivory business. When we see elephants, we think, oh yes, there are so many of them, why worry? The reason we need to worry is that the male tuskers are slowly being wiped out. Selective poaching of tuskers reduces the probability of survival of such populations even in the short term. Also, the genetic variation changes as the breeding male elephant population collapses. That is an important threat to the continued survival of the population. These genetic losses are a serious issue as these genes give resistance to parasites and infections. If large males are specifically targeted, these parasite-resistant genes are not passed on to their offspring. I spoke to Dr. Surendra Verma, an Asian elephant scientist who worked with the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore. Here is what he has to say on how poaching impacts the ability of the elephants to reproduce. 100 elephants in a population, there only 14 will breed. And then within the 14, there will be only about four males and 10 females. So what we call a, this is what we call an operational sex ratio or mm -hmm. effective population size, which actually contributes. So now if you have some huge number of elephant that mm -hmm. they're not going to reproduce. So then the, what is going to reproduce, what really matters? Even single case of poaching or single case of electrocution can put a lot of stress on it. Like if you just take uh, that if there are 40% of adult females in the population, that's our understanding. The male will be anywhere from 7 to 16 percentage. So that means 
if you have an 100 elephant there will be a 40 male female elephant and uh, male will be 7 to 16 depending on the landscape and the many factors so if you take this 40 females all can feed uh, primarily because some of them lactating lactating some of them not come to cycle the female elephants can come to a cycle every four months in one year but the reproductive days are only six in the entire year also within the 40 female elephants not all will come to cycle very few of them will be in their cycle phase if there are 15 individuals which are breeding only four males will be available among 100 elephants and within these four males if two of them go for crop raiding and if one is eliminated it will impact the population in the long term Suddenly, with no reasons, certain population can disappear. It will not be noticed, though we will put a lot of effort and energy that we can predict. But mm -hmm. certain things cannot be like uh, predicted uh, primarily. This will be influenced only by human beings' attitudes. Though poaching has been banned, the hunt for tuskers to harness ivory still continues. Poaching is very difficult to investigate. These watchers. In mm -hmm. particular, with the poaching happened, he mm -hmm. knows every single villages within the beat. Because he lives there or he goes around, he knows he would have done a beautiful mapping who are very bit raw, which which very rude, which mm -hmm. like you know that how can helpful who will go to the extent to do something. Like for example, if there is elephant got electrocuted or it caused by conflict, no, the mm -hmm. tusk will be removed. That watcher will know, sir. I know I go to this house, this tusk can be found. Only people from village houses will come. The watcher knows this. And these things are detected using simple logic, says Dr. Varma. While all these investigations are happening in the forest department, Dr. Varma gets to the task of mapping the crime. He says more about this. Parallelly certain details come, so we keep as a database then we also create what we call a crime map the crime map is important for us primarily uh, whether the same person will be poacher or a new person come into the picture to poaching actually the poaching when we go into the detail it's not easy way to uh, it's not easy to get. somebody has to have a consistent knowledge and uh, some consistent input and things like that either the person would have given up or somebody from the family or somebody from the gang was continuing and repeating and the opportunities are available uh, so now when you can easily predict when a poaching happens sometimes the tusk is stolen from an elephant that has died due to a natural reason dr varma and his team follow a certain knowledge process since undercover operations in such cases cannot be formally trained one needs to look at landscapes that are prone to poaching, where a tusk can be harvested, where patrolling could be loose. If these cues are followed, one can predict where poaching could happen. Under what conditions organized poaching can happen can be easily predicted, says Dr. Varma. If poaching is not detected in time, say in about three weeks, there is no way you can find out the culprit. 
and as the crime is being investigated, Dr. Verma is also involved in identifying and distinguishing between fake and real tusks. He says more about this. Sometimes this police stations uh, you know, <laughs> confiscate tusks. So it comes to us. So every single tusk within any police station in Karnataka, sorry, in Bangalore, it comes to. So I have bought some, yearly about some 15, 20 cases of this happens regularly. We use biological design of tusk to uh, identify the uh, raw tusks or uh, real tusks. So that we go, but then I have some team members from our research team also. Okay. We get into the weight and we get to the morphology. We look at the girth and we look at the outside the lines. And uh, so now see that we know certain things which are designed by nature cannot be uh, duplicated in terms of its uh, design by itself. Like if you take your uh, fingers, no? And it's unique to you. And if you start measuring that each finger, then if you just measure the other finger, no, mm -hmm. not even a inch will be different because this operates from the fact of uh, they have to maintain what is called a balance. If one particular organ is one inch less or more, the animal cannot sustain, they cannot stand because they are, the gravity is very seriously operating. The scientists look at morphometry or morphological design. So we use that as one of the indications to derive whether the truth thus can be detected actually. So that I actually, I, but we don't put any of this in our report because of, uh, it's act as a learning process, but like uh, that also gives me an idea what rate in which uh, the tusks are harvested. Then we also look at if tusks are harvested or real tusk time tusk. If I, we conclude this tusk is true, I elephant ivory tusk. Mm -hmm. Then we look into the time whether it's been old stock coming and a new animal being killed. Actually, the researcher tests old versus new stock of ivory, and then engages in detailed investigation. When a certificate is given for the tusk, the investigation is done. Dr. Verma says further on this. We do some test for their interest, but I just. Uh, Look at the, like we spend almost three, four hours and sometime if necessary, we keep the tasks and we do uh, like we sometime what I did some, I took this tasks to this uh, scanning where we were able to find certain patterns. One medical doctor was interested in looking at the density of material from the uh, material research institute. So then we just compare that with the real tasks and uh, fake tasks. What kind of density? Because that if you if you go into the more detail, it appears to be a bit of science, but mm -hmm. this would act as a one of the best investigation way. Which so one that you just look at uh, morphologically, naked eye based uh, input where you can teach anyone from the police department to check uh, based on certain malivam measurements. Because the poacher, uh, somebody person who creating a fake tusk, uh, will not be that intelligent the way which nature works. And whatever the factor they try to Im try to imitate, no. Mm -hmm. For a trained eye, which that will be visible. If you are observing elephant in the forest and uh, following the tusk for the age estimation, mm -hmm. then you also get. So just one when what we see from a science how that can be utilized to, to differentiate the the original tusk to the fake one. Okay. Then I give one certificate or a simplified certificate, and when 
they call you, then you go and uh, give your explanations why you would certify them as a, uh, the real tasks. Like for example, when I started doing coaching for studies, then then we went to different state and we started translating them into one language. Then we were able to found found common poachers for all the states. said that one can easily predict that without this particular individual's presence, one poaching incident cannot happen at all. That will be known only by the local team. But you should also know which person knows or has this information on who could have done it. As I started meeting more forest department officials from different designations in departments, I understood the various layers in the department and how they all work together to counter poaching. I met Sajesh Kumar, Assistant Conservator of Forests in Kerala. Sajesh works closely with the Forest Intelligence Cell, also known as FIC. When I met Sajesh, he was looking into a poaching investigation that had just happened. I asked him about how Forest Intelligence Cell is crucial to identifying wildlife crimes. And here is what he has to say. Early detection. Early detection and prevention is the FIC unit's main aim. This was formed in 1997. Presently, the strength or manpower is one assistant conservator of forest, one range forest officer, two SFOs, 10 DFOs in 5 circles. This is the structure of the unit. A very important aim of this unit is to firstly identify the possibility of a forest offence. Secondly, let's assume an offence has taken place. We have to trace the culprits. Sajesh told me that when it comes to poaching, the field staff have various challenges in approaching the trader or buyer of ivory. One needs to proceed with a lot of plan and caution. The people involved in these crimes, the buyers or traders, are high-profile people or VIPs. And it would be impossible for the rangers to involve with them directly. There are various processes and ways where this is carefully thought out and done. How does the material travel from one place to another? Where does it go? Where is everything assembled? To put these together is not a simple task. For Sajesh, the attempt is to block this chain and trace the trade route. In the case of ivory and sandal, they would now even know who these buyers are. But even if he has to file a case against these people, it is very difficult, as Sajesh says. Because if I have to do that, I need very clear-cut evidence. I should be able to prove my case in the court. 
in such a case we cannot just label any person a culprit no court will accept that so now we need to recover whatever government material has been lost next another important offense happening these days is illegal trade in both live animals and trophies our main aspect is prevention but prevention does not always occur for a number of reasons and issues so what do we do then naturally trace whoever is responsible thirdly how to ensure that further offense is not committed there are three main areas we have been looking into since i joined this in september of 2021 in the past 5 months till now 11 pieces of ivory have been seized around 500 kilograms of sandalwood and this thing called whale vomit have been seized whale vomit also known as ambergris is an excretion from the sperm whale after excretion this mass becomes a waxy substance that gives a sweet smell this is in high demand to make perfumes outside india whale vomit is exported illegally to other countries however it is also banned under the wildlife protection act in the recent past such cases have been detected as well these new cases of illegal trade add to the already existing pressure of poaching among the forest department officials poaching of ivory is there really an end to it i ask jose so typically jose like since if there's a poaching case how does it start and how does it end so two staff members went for a patrolling and they found a carcass now finding a carcass in the forest is a bad news they found a dead elephant went examined it then they found that the 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 tuskers hacked off in many cases they will not report it they will try to hide the evidence because it is a forest so it's near a stream or a, a marshy area what you need to do is that to wait for 5 days for the carcass to decompose because you are the only two people nobody else is going to come there so you will wait for 5 6 days 10 days carcass is decomposed you got the skull and you move the skull to a safe place dump it in, in in a marsh so that nobody will see it or just dump it into the river or you use a big stone and crush that cavity area so that you, nobody can tell that whether it was uh, task removed the poachers most of the time admit they poached an elephant this person who poached will go to jail but another person will replace him in this task one case will die and another will open and these incidents keep happening there is not enough documentation evidence in place and evidence here is only the confession of the poacher says jose he believes that by gathering intelligence and by putting all this information in a system one can nab a poacher and even prevent such crimes in future so can we use intelligence to prevent crime was a question the kerala forest department mulled over and discussed among themselves after the 2015 poaching case a system was brought in within the kerala forest department a system using intelligence 
to track animal deaths as a first of its kind solutions in India. Technology in conservation became a reality with the introduction of the intelligence system named Hostile Activity Watch Kernel or HAWK. This changed the way in which wildlife crimes are tackled end to end. In the next episode, we will talk about how this very system, HAWK, shows promising possibilities of reducing wildlife crime in the years to come. Thank you for listening to this episode of Climate Emergency. You can listen to more episodes on our website sunoindia.in or on any other podcast platform of your choice. Suno India is an independent media platform and it relies on you, our listener, to support us. So kindly visit the contribute page on our website sunoindia.in. Thank you.